Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast, presented by In We Go, Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 a month with no additional costs or fees. You heard that right, guys. No additional fees. Literally hundreds of events for $39 a month. For instance, over the next few weeks, you could hit up the big, wonderful beer fest, Jeff Dye at Comedy Works. I think that's Thursday night, actually, the night we are recording this. They've got Taps and Tails, the Indie Card Haunted House. There's literally something for everyone. We're talking concerts, beer tastings, food fests, comedy shows, 5Ks. Anything that you can probably imagine, if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that In We Go can get you in. Here's where it gets good for BSN listeners. We've partnered with In We Go to give you guys a great deal. So if you go to inwego.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe, you're going to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All of those events plus a lot more in Denver for under 20 bucks during your first month. Try it, and I guarantee you, you're going to fall in love with it. So again, go to inwego.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. As always, the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by InWeGo, the subscription that can get you into any event in Denver. Thursday edition of the show, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. We are recording today from downtown Denver at Blake Street Tavern, my favorite sports bar in the Lodo, downtown Denver area. They've got everything you need, tons of TVs, tons of beer, great food as well. I guess this is our first kind of post-game edition of the pod. Sometimes we'll record the night of, but we're recording Thursday here. The Nuggets had their season opener Wednesday night in L.A. against the Clippers. Got the win, of course, 107-98. We'll be discussing that game, breaking it down from all angles at length. But we've got some news to get to first because Wednesday morning after the Nuggets held shoot-around in L.A., the Nuggets and Michael Malone agreeing to a multi-year contract extension. Some reports indicating that it's a two-year deal. But what were your first thoughts when... You saw that news that Michael Malone did get the extension. Yeah, I mean, I'm supportive of this move. Uh, I think Michael Malone has done a really good job overall with this ball club. You know, I've one of the things that I really failed to grasp, even being around this team at the start of the 2016-17 season, was just how bad things were before Michael Malone got in here. Um, I wrote a story about the Nuggets repairing the fracture culture in this franchise, and one of the stories I linked to within that was an anecdote about the Nuggets breaking a huddle in March 2015 by saying one, two, three, six weeks. All those guys are ready to go on vacation. I mean, it's it's hard to overstate how bad 
the culture was here around that time, how low morale was. And it's completely transformed under Michael Malone, um, working with Tim Connolly and Arturis Karnasovas. They've gone from 33 to 40 to 46 wins under Michael Malone. They've got guys in here who are just workhorses. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris fit that bill. Nikola Jokic, you know, a fiery competitor, a franchise guy when he's on the floor. All of that and the fact that the young guys seem to love Michael Malone. I mean, I, I think two more years is a really good deal for both sides. I agree. I think it's a good move. I wasn't terribly surprised when I saw the news. It was something I expected to get done before the season, which I guess Wednesday was the last day it could have gotten done before the year, or very early into the season. But it's a good thing they got it out of the way because a coach on the year of on the last year of his deal, that could be a distraction throughout the year, especially if the Nuggets got off to a poor start, which I didn't think they would by any means, but it's something that definitely could have been a distraction, I felt like. And so for, for them to get that out of the way before the season started, on the day of the game, day of the regular season opener nonetheless, I thought was a great move. And I also just in general think it's a good move to extend them for a lot of the reasons you just said. The big things that stick out to me, continued improvement. You mentioned the win totals. If this team was in the Eastern Conference, they would have been in the playoffs comfortably the last two years. They missed the playoffs by one game. I don't think when you look at a coach's job and a coach's resume, it should be defined by how many years they made the playoffs and how many years they missed the playoffs. Because in a lot of years, the Nuggets at 40 wins two years ago, the Nuggets at 46 wins last year, they would have made the playoffs. So I don't think that can necessarily define a coach. And the connection he has with his team the strong bonds he has with the young core on this roster is something that is really in his back pocket and I think definitely a contributing factor to the Nuggets wanting to keep him around. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Nicole Jokic, the core of this team, we've talked about it so much. Paul Millsap really connected with Malone in that free agent pitch meeting that the two sides had in Atlanta two years ago. He's well-respected within the locker room. He's also well-respected around the league too. From coaches to players to star players, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Chris Paul, all very close with Michael Malone, I feel like those are important things. Yeah, for sure. The Nuggets roster is made up of players from four different countries. You know, there are a lot of diverse personalities on this team, and they get along so well, and I think you have to give a little bit of that credit to Michael Malone at least. I think one of his biggest strengths as a coach is ability to connect with guys from different backgrounds we saw him take a trip to Europe this summer to hang out with Nikola Jokic in Serbia um, just really soak up the culture there he also hung out with Juancho Hernan Gomez in Spain Michael Malone you know cares for his guys on a human level and I think that's really important you know there are distinct phases of franchise building too the Nuggets are pretty much done with this rebuilding phase and this building back up because it really had to be stripped down to the base. There was a rotten foundation when Michael Malone got here. I think he's done a good job with that phase. And now he's going to get a fair shake in the next phase. And I think there are some questions about what he can be as a playoff coach. Um, you know, I'm interested to see how he makes tactical adjustments from game to game. If he can, you know, not get so tight. He, he said, I actually heard him say in that sit down with Vic Lombardi that that was one of the things that 
he's trying to work on more was, you know, having a, a little calmer demeanor and maybe not getting so high or so low. He, he, I think he did a pretty good job of that during that seven-game stretch to close the year last year. But we're going to get to see him during this next phase of whatever the Nuggets are going to be, and he deserves that opportunity. Yeah, I want to go back to something you just said. When the Nuggets hired Malone, I really feel like the number one thing that was on the top of their priority list when looking for a new coach was somebody who could set the culture and just rework whatever they had going on. You spoke about how they really need need to be repaired. Somebody to repair the culture, instill a self-motivating environment where guys want to come in and work and really just build a program. And that's what the Nuggets have done over the last three years. And you think about all the guys who have come up through said program, through this player development program with a lot of the coaches on the staff now have been here since Mike Malone got here. Jamal Murray's improved. Gary Harris has improved. Nikola Jokic, Will Barton, all these guys have been getting better with you know, Malone at the top of this program, quote-unquote, but a lot of the guys filling it out that you know he put in place. So uh, that's a thing, too. Like, he accomplished what the Nuggets hired him to accomplish, and now the next step is, of course, going out to making the playoffs. He does have great connections with the young guys. I like how you mentioned he went to Serbia to visit Nikola Jokic each of the past couple summers. He went to Canada to visit Jamal Murray this past summer. You didn't see Phil Jackson and Jeff Hornacek doing that <laughs> in New York when Chris Chris Porzingis was there and there was some tension between those two sides. So I just think that's an interesting parallel or an interesting, I guess, comparison uh, between two teams and how two different organizations do it. But again, I think this is a good move. It could have been a distraction if this lingered into the year, I definitely think. So getting out ahead of it, giving him the extension before the season, he's deserving of it. And look, what a day for Michael Malone Wednesday. He gets the contract extension, gets an opening night win against the Clippers. What were some of your big thoughts from that opening night win? I guess some big takeaways. We'll touch on the offense, the defense, of course, the lineups too, but winning an opening night game on the road I don't think is necessarily the easiest thing to do in the world yeah this game kind of reminded me of a couple of games the Nuggets played during that that final stretch of seven last year when they're fighting for their playoff lives and went six and one the Nuggets really weren't at their best offensively Um, they won this game despite shooting 37.9 percent from the field They won this game despite making only eight threes and 24 tries all night. You know, the Nuggets of old don't win games where they shoot less than 40%. Um, Denver's actually won their last three games where they've shot less than 40%. Uh, In their previous 29 games, they were 3-29 when they shot worse than 40%. So I do think we're seeing the Nuggets learn to win these grinded-out games and learn to win basketball games when they're not playing their best I mean, they never really panicked even when they fell behind. Um, It looked like a more mature, um, it looked like a tougher basketball team to me. I definitely agree. And before I want to get into my thoughts from kind of a high level, I want to go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, hear from our guy Chris, who's also got some general thoughts on the game. And again, if you guys ever have questions for the show, hit up the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. I love how some of you guys called in. After the game, that's kind of my dream for this 
feature of the show. Call in after the game. Give us your thoughts on the game. Give us your takes. And then we'll react to them on the show the next day. But the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, as always, is 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. Let's go there right now. Hey, Chris in Denver. Had to call in after a game like that. Um, voice is a little scratchy after the uh, Nuggets watch party at uh, Ryan House, which was surprisingly well attended. I was really impressed by the turnout there. Looks like it's going to be uh, going to be a fun season at the Pepsi Center. Um, overall, I like what I saw. I got to admit, I left uh, left the bar at halftime, missed a little bit of the fir- third quarter, but I thought uh, your key players played well. Um, even when uh, Murray and Millsap weren't shooting well, they still defended well. Millsap with the 16 boards. Um, really don't know what you could complain about. They got a road win with a team that's been a tough matchup. Boban did his Boban stuff in the third and fourth quarter. They came back. They won. They held an opponent under 100 points. Yeah, there's some things that if they continue all season, it's going to be a problem. But, you know, it's the first game. And most importantly, they come back to the Pepsi Center undefeated. What's uh, what's better than that? Uh, curious your thoughts on the game. And, um, you know, for me, if there's one thing to be worried about tonight, it's that the, the sun shot the lights out. Uh, as always, love the show. Keep up the great work. Go Nuggets. Thanks for the call, Chris, as always. And, yeah, I would agree with you, man. There's not a lot that you can look at from this game and be super disappointed about from a Nuggets perspective. Winning an opening night game on the road is really tough. Like, you know those Clippers games aren't going to be sold out throughout the whole year. Probably some of the biggest crowds are going to be, obviously, against the Lakers, the Warriors, and whatnot. Opening night crowds are always good, though. Opening night crowds are always into it, really no matter what arena you go into. I mean, you look at Utah. They had trouble with Sacramento last night in Sacramento. That's one of the best teams in the Western Conference going against a team who's going to be one of the worst in the Western Conference, but it was at Sacramento. Those fans are fired up. It's a new year. Everybody's optimistic. It's tough to win opening night games on on the road. And for Denver to go into L.A. against the Clippers, a team who's much better than Sacramento, a team who's probably going to finish with 20 more wins than Sacramento will this year and to get the win and the way they did it I felt was really impressive let's start with the defense because that is what I felt like was one of the big takeaways from the opener obviously holding the Clippers under 98 points to just 40 percent shooting 8 of 28 from three LA never got it going from the beyond the arc on Wednesday you're right. This did feel like one of those games at the end of the season against a quality opponent where Denver, their offense was going in the first half. Look, their offense wasn't even popping, but they somehow put up 59 points in the first half. That's just what this Nuggets team can do. The third quarter, things kind of ground to a halt for both teams. Defense probably won this game in the end, though, for Denver. Holding L.A. to 24 points in that first quarter and then 18 in the third and then 26 in the fourth. All good defensive efforts there. The guy who was at the forefront of the defense, though, was Paul Millsap. And he's probably not going to get a ton of praise this game because he was 1-7 from the field on offense. Did finish with 11 points, got to the line 12 times. Defensively, he was amazing. Defensively, this was everything we expected and thought Paul Millsap was going to be. Yeah, it's... 
it's pretty hard for a guy to go one for seven from the field, play 30 minutes, and then be a plus 20, meaning right. Denver outscored Los Angeles by 20 points when Paul Millsap was on the floor. That was a team high. That was a game high, pretty remarkable number. I mean, for as much as Paul Millsap struggled offensively, he was fantastic defensively. I mean, just flying around, controlling the defensive glass, the sequence that sticks out to me most is that three-on-one he stopped right. by himself where it's just textbook. Um, you kind of you fake one way, and then when the guy keeps the ball, you, I mean, you just contest it as good as you can, and that shot rolled off the rim. He grabbed it. That was just beautiful to watch. I mean, nobody on the Nuggets roster can make that play but Paul Millsap. That reminded of me stopping that four-on-one fast break in our summer league team. Actually, <laughs> that's what that reminded me of. Uh, I don't. I don't remember that one. I don't think you. I think you missed that game. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, I mean, that was such a great play. Um, and I thought the Nuggets matched Paul Millsap's defensive intensity for the most part too. It just felt like there was that effort. One through five. I mean, it wasn't just Millsap flying around. You saw that effort from everybody, too. You did. And you also saw some flashes of the Nuggets' defensive scheme, an aggressive defensive scheme that they want to play with this year. I think it's similar in a lot of ways to what they were doing at the beginning of last season when this defense showed flashes. And then, of course, Paul goes down with that injury. Things kind of go into chaos, and Denver reverts to largely what they've been doing on the defensive end of the floor over the past two seasons before Millsap got here. But last night, you saw on the court what the Nuggets have been talking about all preseason, playing a more aggressive style, their big men playing up at the level of the ball, hedging ball screens, getting out and cutting off opposing point guards, then sprinting back to their man, switching a lot on the defensive end, and I agree. Everybody seemed like they were on a string last night. It was as good of a defensive performance as you probably could have hoped for in an opener. Obviously, things can be cleaned up here and there. Opening nights, you know, first couple of games of the year, you're always still trying to figure things out coming off the preseason. But they definitely did a lot of good things last night. And this team gave up so many three-pointers last year, and teams just killed them from beyond the arc. To hold the Clippers to 8 of 28 from three-point range, and I know the Clippers aren't like an unbelievable three-point shooting team, but look, they got guys like Lou Williams who can hit threes. Daniel Gallinari, of course, he got loose last night for a couple. He was 4 of 7, hit some deep ones too. But collectively, to hold the Clippers to 8 of 28 from three, under 30%, that's just going to do a lot for this team's confidence. So Michael Malone, obviously happy that he got the contract extension and the win. I think he's going to be even more enthusiastic about this team's defensive effort because they're going to need it against Phoenix, like Chris alluded to. That team can certainly score the ball. I, If the Nuggets can hold the Suns under 100 points, maybe we got something here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And going back to Millsap real quick, you know, it's one of those things where you watch the starters out in the court together and you're like, man, this isn't working very well. This Something just seems off. Something just doesn't seem right. And then you know, the Nuggets starters, you look at the numbers after the game and the starters absolutely crushed the Clippers starters when they were in. The Nuggets win the game, even though they probably didn't play their best ball. Aesthetically, it might not look that pleasing right now. They'll, they'll probably look a little bit prettier as the season goes on. Only thing that matters is the wins. That third quarter was probably the low point. Well, obviously the low point for the Nuggets offense. 
only scored 15 points in the quarter, shot just 419 from th from the field, 104 from three. The starters in that third quarter, they still stayed even. They still played the Clippers even because of their defense. Like Denver wasn't able to score. They weren't able to manufacture anything on offense, but they didn't let that get to their head defensively because they still gave out and gave a defensive effort that held L.A. to 18 points. So I thought that was really encouraging, too. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back with a lot more thoughts on this game right here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Are you in search of natural relief from your daily stresses? Well, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-rich, hemp oil-infused coffee that is non-psychoactive, helps reduce pain naturally, keeps those coffee jitters away, and so much more. I started drinking it because I have degenerative arthritis, and I would prefer to drink coffee that has natural ingredients in it for healing, and this coffee treats the inflammatory process that happens from having degenerative arthritis. That was Robin. She's been drinking Strava Craft coffee every day for months now, and she is so happy with the results. I would recommend it to America, to everyone, because it is a fantastic product. It delivers, it does what it says it's going to do, and it's amazing. Put your body back in balance with Strava Craft Coffee and see how good you feel. Order online today and use promo code BSN2018 for 20% off. That's BSN2018. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go, Harrison Wayne, Christian Clark here. Thursday edition of the show, recording at Blake Street Tavern. If you've never been down to Blake Street Tavern, definitely check them out. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people here Thursday night for the Broncos game. But if you're looking to watch any sporting event, any Denver sporting event, there's probably not a better place to come than Blake Street Tavern. I want to talk about the starters and the bench and how Michael Malone used 10 guys in his rotation we got a good question on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline that will set us up for that. So let's go there right now. Hey, guys. This is Ray from Maryland. I had a response, kind of expansion question to what Chris from Denver said on the last podcast. He asked about the minutes rotation and about how Mike Malone is really a fan of his eight guys and, and how uh, it might be possible or not possible to get to that 10th, 11th guy on a night-in, night-out basis. And I do think there is a school of thought that that can have its advantages. If you look at George Carl, he often ran, you know, into that 9, 10, 11 guys, and that allowed us to run at a pace that was really high. Uh, but definitely had its drawbacks in the playoffs when you really want to um, – when you need to win one game, of course, that, that is something that you might prefer. Uh, who, do you, who do you two think – really finds the right balance here. Uh, I personally feel like it's usually best to start off the season with a longer bench, start off the season with 10, 11 guys, and maybe shorten it up as you get towards the playoffs and into the playoffs. Uh, but I definitely think early on you want to give those deeper guys an opportunity to get into rhythm so that if you do need them, uh, they can come out and produce for you. Uh, thanks, and I um, always appreciate the work. Bye. Thanks for the question, Ray, and I know you called in before the game, but this is perfect because this is exactly setting us up for what we want to talk about here. It's funny, I asked Michael Mullen about what his rotation would be on Tuesday, 
or maybe that was Monday. I think it was Monday before the team practiced Tuesday and then flew out to L.A. Tuesday afternoon about what his bench rotation would look like if he had an ideal amount of guys that he wanted to have as in, in his rotation. And he pretty much told me that he doesn't think it's possible to play 10 or 11 guys on a night-to-night basis. Lo and behold, 48 hours later against the Clippers in the opener, the Nuggets trot out a 10-man rotation. And, you know, I'm actually fine with it. I think a 10-man rotation is fine for this team, especially like what Ray said. I agree with him. Early in the year, I think it's fine to have an expanded rotation. As the year goes on, if you hit some bumps in the road, you can whittle it down. Obviously, in the playoffs, you probably want to play eight or nine guys at the most. But in the regular season, it's so long. 82 games is so long. There's going to be injuries no matter how young this Nuggets team is, no matter no matter how many minutes Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and Will Barton can play without getting tired. I do think there's a way you can save those guys a little bit by playing a 10-man rotation. And look, if the bench plays like it did in the regular season, plays like it did opening night for these next couple months, I think a 10-man rotation is possible. It does seem like that group has some pretty good synergy together so I'm not opposed to a 10-man rotation I was surprised when I saw it Wednesday especially because what Michael Malone had to say at practice regarding the difficulties in playing that many guys but if you're going to play 10 if you're going to kind of do hockey subs and have that bench lineup on the floor together for a couple minutes at the end of the second quarter a couple minutes or sorry a couple minutes at the end of the first quarter a couple minutes at the beginning of the second quarter and then the same thing in the third and fourth quarter. Is that the worst thing in the world? Well, the Nuggets have such a deep roster, so probably not. Um, it, it was a little surprising to see Michael Ballone just go the hockey sub route like he did in the preseason. I thought that tactic was only going to be something he used in the preseason, but I thought the Nuggets reserves mostly held their own. And the thing is, the Clippers have a really good bench. Lou Williams, reigning sixth man of the year. Bucket, getter off the bench. Shea Gilgis-Alexander came off the bench. I mean, he, he's a solid rookie. Uh, obviously, he had to deal with Boban off the bench. So the Clippers have a really talented reserve unit. They're a really deep team. And, you know, I thought the Nuggets bench mostly held their own. It was also surprising that Torrey Craig was the odd man out. Um, in my head, I kind of had Torrey Craig ahead of Wancho um, in the pecking order, so to speak. And it was Malik Beasley and Wancho out at the wing spots in sort of, instead of Torrey Craig last night. Should it have been that surprising, though, when you look at the Nuggets' last preseason game and their quote-unquote dress rehearsal when Torrey Craig doesn't get off the bench and Wancho does and Malik does? I kind of took a step back after that game and said to myself, man, maybe Torrey is last in the pecking order after those two, and you know, apparently he is. We've spoken about this all preseason. Wancho and Malik give you a little more offensively than Torrey Craig, but they're probably a little more inconsistent than Torrey Craig. You know what you're getting a little more when it comes to Craig instead of those guys, but I feel like this is what we're going to see for these next couple games at least, a 10-man rotation. And Look, if you look at the numbers, they played well, 11 minutes for that bench when all those five guys were on the floor together. Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Wancho, Trey Lyles, and Mason Plumley. they were a plus five. They shot it better than the starters from the field. They shot 44% in those 11 minutes, hit three of six from three. Uh, they were a plus five overall, so they outscored 
LA 24 to 19. Yeah, Monte had a really tough assignment. Uh, he spent a, a couple of those minutes matched up on Lou Williams. There was there was a play where Lou Williams kind of faked like he was going around the screen and just totally crossed Monte up and got to the hole and drew a foul. That's a tough, tough draw on opening night if you're Monte Morris having not played a lot of NBA minutes. Just go out there and guard Lou Williams. That's one slippery dude. Somebody else who had a tough assignment was Mason Plumley. Uh, it happened again. Oh, are we at this point where we talk about it? I mean, we're 27 minutes into the podcast. We oh, might as well go. talk about it. We were watching the game together last night. I turned to you on my left, and I just said, it's happening, Christian. It's happening again. Boban, he did it again. Um, we knew he was going to play against the Nuggets, probably. We probably had a good idea that he was going to kill the Nuggets again. And the rim. And the rim. Why is it in your mind that Denver can't stop this guy? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, I know I get why Nicole Jokic has a really hard time with him because Nicole Jokic just he can't really get up and down that much. And I think defensively he's got a, he's got a really difficult time you know, navigating the pick and roll and getting back to Boban and pushing him out of the way before that lob pass comes. Mason Plumlee sh- should be a little, a little better equipped to guard Boban. I don't know, man. I, I don't understand why Boban just goes absolutely freaking bananas against the Nuggets every time. I, I wish I had a better explanation for you. I wish I did, too. And I'm guessing our conversation right now is pretty similar to the Nuggets coaching staff conversation in regards to how to stop Boban. I doubt they really have any inclination after he's done this three straight games, I guess. That game at the end of the season. Uh, where he led that second half comeback in the preseason where he also played well against Denver. And then last night, he is incredibly skilled for seven foot three. And a lot of people just kind of like poke fun at him. Oh, he's this funny, goofy looking guy, seven foot three, huge, these huge hands, these huge ears. He looks like a character out of Game of Thrones. This guy is so skilled and he's fast too. Like he could beat Nikola Jokic by... 10 yards and like a hundred yard sprint probably. Yeah. Jokic said after the game, quote, he understands the game. He's not just a big guy that's out there dunking the ball. When Nikola Jokic gives you the stamp of approval that you can think the game, you can think the game. He can shoot the ball from the line. He's like a career 80% free throw shooter. He's got an amazing touch. Like those little five footers. It's not the easiest shot in the world. It's a lot more difficult than a point blank layup like you got to have the right trajectory you got to swish it he knocks those down every time I maintain if you could find a way to get Boban on the court for 20 plus minutes a night he'd be a dominant player in this league he already is when he plays his 10 minutes a night 15 minutes a night I think he had four and ones last night four yeah Denver had no way to stop him and yeah he broke the rim last night I can't (laughs) remember the last time a player did that yeah, it was right around the time that Boban broke the rim when uh, it looked like the game was slipping away from the Nuggets a little bit. They were down six points with five minutes to go. It looked like they were going to give this one away, and the Nuggets dug deep to, to pull this one out. Nikola Jokic hit that three-pointer. He finally got a three-pointer to go that, that cut the lead to one. Paul Millsap hit his first bucket of the night on the ensuing possession to put the Nuggets up one, 95 to 94. And Denver never trailed after that. What did you see from Denver in those final five minutes or so? Well, I just saw a team that wasn't really panicking. Um, 
the offense over the course of the game, it had its high points, it had its low points. It didn't seem like they were panicking even when the Clippers were making those runs in the fourth quarter. I immediately thought back to last season's opener in Utah. I was there that night. That's one of the loudest arenas I've ever heard. Denver was up, what, 17 or 18 points in the third quarter of that game. Obviously, they weren't up that many this time around against the Clippers, but opening night on the road, I mentioned earlier in the show how tough it is to win those games with the crowd and just the enthusiasm in the arena. The Clippers made a couple shots. The Nuggets could have really folded, but they just kind of kept their head down, did their best not to panic unlike what happened in Utah last year. So I thought that was a good sign of growth. And the other part that was another big takeaway for me was Gary Harris, how he's had a number of clutch shots throughout his career with the Nuggets. You think back to last year, maybe the biggest shot of last season against the Thunder, that game winner on national TV off that inbounds play, that beautiful pass from Jokic. Maybe that was the biggest shot of last season. He hit that. And he also hit the biggest shot in my mind of Wednesday night. Denver needing a bucket. You know, he gets to his right hand, gets a little bit of space between him and Montrez Harrell, knocks down that 14-footer. We've been talking about who the go-to guy at the end of games is going to be for the Nuggets for the last year. I still think it's going to be by committee, but Gary Harris probably isn't the worst option. Oh, yeah, and that's because Gary Harris never gets rattled. Right. I mean, he kind of did a a little like hop step after he made that shot. But if you looked at his face, it's the same Gary ex Harris expression. If they're up by 20 or down by 20, his facial expression never changes. It's funny to go back and look at that, that still photo after he hit the game winner over KC, same look on his face. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why Gary is pretty good late in games is because he's just able to stay cool under pressure. He's gotten so much better at, at getting his own shot. He did a number of tricky pull-ups um, and his handle has gotten so much better, too. He had a nifty between-the-legs move last night. I mean, Gary just only seems to get better, and he's such an important part of this team. He had eight points in the fourth quarter. Paul Millsap also had eight points, and we've seen Paul throughout the last year. He might struggle over three quarters, but it just seems like the ball kind of finds him in fourth quarters. I don't know if that's the Nuggets wanting to get the ball in his hands, from a coaching perspective, I don't know if that's the players being like, hey, we got this four-time All-Star on the floor who's been through countless close, high-leverage games and playoff games before. Let's get him the ball. But the ball always seems to find Paul Millsap in fourth quarters. And he hit his one field goal of the night. What was it, that runner from uh, kind of the gray area on the baseline in between the paint and the three-point line, just like a mid-range runner. And then he goes six of eight from the line in the fourth quarter. So those two guys kind of brought it home. Gary really picked up Jamal on Wednesday because Jamal Murray struggled in this game, I thought. A big part of that was probably him having to go up against Patrick Beverly, who is just a real pest on the defensive end of the floor. Jamal goes 3 of 12, but only one turnover, five rebounds, three assists. You know, he didn't kill his team by any means when he was out there. He still made good decisions. Uh, he still kind of was just a link in the chain, but offensively just kind of looked out of it. I think a large part of that was Patrick Beverly. I'd expect him to bounce back in a big way against Phoenix, um, but not his best showing overall. You know, I think Jamal does struggle a little bit when he gets matched up with those pit bull point guards. Jamal Murray is not really your natural classic pure point guard, um, and that's fine in most situations for the Nuggets, but 
I do think that Jamal could stand to tighten up his handle just a little bit so that when he's playing the Patrick Beverleys of the world, the Chris Pauls, then, you know, he doesn't get a little bit flustered. Um, he's got the confidence to just go by them um, with ease. You know, Phoenix is going to be a great opportunity to bounce back because who'd they start the other night? Isaiah Cannon at point guard? I think their two point guards are Isaiah Cannon and Elia Kobo, the rookie. Yeah. So or do they have Shaquille Harrison still? I don't even know. That's the opposite end of the spectrum from Pet Bev. Yeah, but I would expect Jamal to p- bounce back for sure. Gary and Paul really bringing them home in the fourth quarter. That stood out to me. Let's go ahead and take another break. We'll be right back here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. Welcome back. Thursday edition of the show, Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark at Blake Street Tavern. Let's talk about Nicole Jokic's night. That's kind of how we wanted to wrap up today's show. I'd say a quiet night for Jokic, but of course he still goes out there and puts up 21 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. Maybe this is crazy, but the most impressive part of Nicole Jokic's night might have been his defense, I thought. I spoke about the aggressive defense earlier in the show, how what the Nuggets have been talking about all training camp and all summer really showed itself in game one. Nicole Jokic was a big part of that. Obviously, Paul Millsap will steal most of the spotlight there, and deservingly so. Paul finished with a block and altered many others throughout the night. But I thought Nikola Jokic was really good on defense, just in terms of hedging ball screens and then sprinting back to his man, recovering, helping teammates, picking up rotations. I thought he was great defensively. Is that crazy to say that maybe his defense last night was more impressive than his offense? Oh, I don't know if I would go that far, but I thought it was a good defensive game from Jokic. He brought the intensity. I mean, on the offensive end, he felt his way into the game a little bit. I mean, he really was just getting by on free throws there for much of the first quarter. But he definitely brought it defensively. I loved that play in the fourth quarter where Jokic hits the three and then the Nuggets draw an offensive foul when the Clippers get the ball back. And Jokic has this a bloody nose. I think he caught an elbow from Gallo in that game. Mm-hmm. And... He just lets out like five fist bumps in a row. Jokic was really into that game last night, and it it was fun to watch. Um, It seemed like he got into it in like the third quarter because he didn't have that edge in the first half. But in the third quarter, I think I turned to you and was like, okay, Jokic is engaged now. He's in the game. Yeah, he started taking those threes without any hesitation whatsoever. He finally got one to go 
in the fourth quarter. And it's just a testament to his brilliance that, you know, he can not even look that sharp and still go for 21-8-5. The guy's just an absolute freak. He was also taking advantage of those um, freedom of movement calls that the refs are really focusing on in the early part of the season. I mean, the Clippers were so pissed off that Jokic was, let's just say he was uh, exaggerating a little bit of that contact, and he earned 10 trips to the free throw line last night. I would say six of those were iffy calls, but it's good gamesmanship. Yeah, it was 8 of 10 from the line. He probably drew, what, seven or eight fouls last night by himself? A lot of those were early in the quarter and didn't result in free throws. The Nuggets weren't in the penalty yet, but... He was unbelievable at drawing fouls last night. You could definitely tell he was getting under the skin of the Clippers' bigs for sure, especially marching Gortat, who I think Jokic likes to go against. I'll say that. He goes 0 of 1 the first quarter, only takes four shots in the first half, but he was just picking his spots, and then by the end of the game in the fourth quarter, he definitely turned on his aggressiveness a little bit. The finger, are you worried about the finger at all? A lot of people think it's bothering him. I think it's still bothering him a little bit, especially when it comes to his rebounding. I'd say that might be where I saw it bothering him the most in the preseason. Um, He gets eight rebounds against the Clippers, but just doesn't look totally comfortable with that hand. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely passing up a lot of shots. If you ask Jokic about the finger, he says that it's not the big a deal. It's just something he's got to continue fighting through. I don't know. I mean, have you you played with jammed fingers before, right? I mean, it affects you, yeah, for sure. It's, it's a little agitating, for sure. But I, no, I'm not concerned about it at all. It'll it'll wear off. Any other thoughts from this game? I feel like we covered a lot of bases. Uh, yeah, I thought Gallo was going hard in the paint. Uh, that was about the most effort I've seen him give. Wonder why? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Shots fired. Um, Gallo and Jokic should have a couple good back and forth moments definitely felt like those two wanted to go at each other but overall I'd say this was a good win for Denver it's tough to win opening night games on the road against good teams especially against good teams like the Clippers and the Clippers are good they'll probably win close to 40 games this year I think in the West they'll be pesky for most of the year so I think this was a quality win and they've got a chance to go to 2-0 against Phoenix on Saturday that's all we got for today. Thanks for listening, guys. Of course, hit up the Total Beverage Fan Hotline if you got questions for the show. 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. We recorded today's show from Blake Street Tavern down here in Denver. If you have never been to Blake Street Tavern, what are you waiting for? Check them out. Great beer, great food, great TVs. They got a whole underground social area down below with games and another bar and whatnot. Check them out. And we'll be back with another episode on Friday. Talk with you guys then.